thing, our translator heading ab above this section is the, the testimony of John the Baptist. The testimony of John the Baptist. And as you find your place, this is technically, you might say, the technically week three of our study of John. We started on Christmas Eve and we arrive now finally in week three, finally at the beginning, at the beginning of the narrative. The start of the telling, John started the telling of the ins and the outs and the facts, historical facts, figures based on the eyewitness account of a man who lived 2,000 some years ago in, a, in and around a place we call Israel, Jesus. This Jesus. Jesus is the main character of this book. It's not about you, it's about him. He's the central figure. He's the subject of interest throughout the entire book. Jesus of, as you're going to find many times in the Gospel of John, Jesus of Nazareth. First 18 verses of this book, we've already covered. Chapter 1 are commonly referred to as the prologue, fancy word prologue. The introduction, it sets a tone, providing the backstory, preparing us. That's what a prologue does. It prepares us for what we're about to read. In verses 19 then and following our passage this morning, story actually begins. This is how John the Apostle begins his telling of what happened. It's day one and day two in, in, in his story. Day one and day two. Would you look with me? I'll read them. Pray chapter one, verse, verses 19 following. Follow along. Verse 19. And this, John the apostle writes, is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. Verse 24. Now, now they had been sent, been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered him, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Next section, verse 29. The next day he saw... Jesus, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Verse 32, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, 
But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The very words of God. Would you pray with me for understanding, Father? Father, so much is at stake as we read your book. So much is at stake as we consider the testimony of your Son, Jesus. So we pray you would work among us. Unplug our ears. Pull the scales off our eyes. Soften our hearts. Energize us that we might engage with your words holy spirit we pray you would come and breathe life to one who has never confessed that you are the christ and to the one who today wants to confess again grant faith that we might treasure that which is of supreme value your son jesus Oh, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, over, over Christmas break, my family and I went to the theater to watch a movie. If you notice, we don't do this often. At least I don't do this often. I can't remember the last time. Can't stay awake that long. Uh, it's like kryptonite. But we decided we were going to make a memory. My mother and my sister were in town. We're going to make a memory. So we purchased tickets. I didn't know you could do this. You could buy the tickets now beforehand. This is how long ago it's been. Uh, we went out for lunch beforehand. Went to uh, one of my uh, my father's favorite restaurants, Panera, right? And then we braved the crowds. Uh, it was it's a spectrum, and parking was tough. We took our seats. I didn't know you get reserved seats now in the theater. We got the fancy seats, or at least that's how I saw it. We, we, they reclined. We watched the previews. There was like an hour and a half of advertisements about Coca-Cola and, and, and public service announcements. The lights went down. The movie began, and it was at that very moment in the opening sec, sec, seconds of that uh, opening scene that I realized I had been tricked. <laughs> I've been tricked, duped, Wonka. Have you seen this movie, Wonka? Okay, listen, if you don't know this public service announcement, you need to know, spoiler alert, Wonka is a musical. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know Wonka was a movie. I felt betrayed at that moment. And I sat there, I looked around the rest of my family, did you see what I'm seeing? This guy is singing. <laughs> Musical, listen, you gotta know this about me. I don't, you don't need to know this about me, but I'm gonna tell you this about me. Musicals frustrate me. When I see a musical, unless one of my, one of my, well, my daughter, when my daughter, when someone's in a musical that I love, then I love musicals. But otherwise, musicals frustrate me. I just always want to stand up and scream at the screen, like, stop singing and get on with the story. You know, like, I'm singing about it. <laughs> I should have known better. I should have, I should have done some more research. I normally would do more research. People have been complaining about this. They feel trapped and duped as well. Men, fathers across the nation over Christmas were angry. <laughs> Listen, so much so that the director of the movie came out and quoted in the newspaper. is what he said in defense. He said, Wonka is a musical. It's a movie that has songs in it. <laughs> I was, please, not that stupid. <laughs> a movie that has songs in it. 
And here's my point. Listen, here's my point. There are many ways to tell a story. And in my humble opinion, <laughs> musicals should not be one of them. <laughs> but listen, listen, as I stated last week, there's my point. And I'm going to do it again because I want you to be informed up front. The gospel of John is unique. It's one of a kind. There's, no, there's not another one like it. It's, and, and it's not a musical. Uh, there's no singing in it. I check. Uh, it, it's, it's like the mashup of theology and ancient, like the ancient biography and, and the tone is persuasive. It's a proclamation. And, and the content is it, it's selective. It's not everything. And it, and it claims to have a divine authorship is inspired, written by God himself. I believe that. The, the Gospel of John is so different. Listen, it's so different. Different from even the other three Gospels in the New Testament. Listen, one scholar says, this is how he describes this one. This is the story of Jesus. He says, this is the story of Jesus without a father. Without father, mother, or genealogy. A Jesus who speaks no parables. Think about all the other you know about the Gospels. This, this Gospel, the Gospel according to John, has a Jesus who speaks no parables. A Jesus who, far from silencing those who identify him and realize who he is, instead of quashing there and asking them to stay quiet, he instead, a lot of this book is going to be these seven great I am statements. He's telling them who he is. This Jesus here uh, in John's gospel rarely speaks about the kingdom, but often about eternal life. He doesn't so much call his disciples by name, gospel according to John, as he appears to exercise some, I love this, some kind of mysterious spiritual gravity. That's when you read, if you know the gospel, this mysterious spiritual gravity. Gravity. It's best, listen, it's best that the reader of this book know how, what it is before getting into it and reading it. This is a book about Jesus with no casting out of demons. It's not in this one. There's no mention of temptations. There's no institution of his supper. It's seemingly an altogether different telling of the same man, yet with the same purpose. And that's my point. Same purpose as every other book in the Bible, determined to convince us to believe. To believe in him, Jesus. And with that in mind, with that in mind, here's, what, here's what's really, I think is really profound about the opening scene. No surprises here. The opening scene. It functions uh, almost like a, a bookend. A bookend with the end of the story. The final scene. The first scene and the last scene. At least the last, you might say, climactic scene in the book. The crucifixion. These two scenes, the first and the last, function like bookends. On a shelf. Holding the story together. Holding the story together. Making sense of the middle so as to prepare us for the end. So to prepare us for So allow me, allow me to show you this. Allow me to show you this by tracing the questions. There are a lot of questions 
in the opening scene sequence in the narrative itself. John, John the ba- Baptist answers three basic questions. He's going to answer three basic questions, three general questions. The first two are explicit right in the text. The third is implicit. And the first one is, who are you? That's how the story begins. Who are you? Look again, verse 19. Who are you? Verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. This is where he starts. When the Jews send priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now let me click clear so there's no confusion because there, this could be confusing. The author of this book is John. The author of the book is John, the apostle. And the John, verse 19 and following, is a different John. The, the John in verse 19 is a different John. It's John the Baptist. So we have two Johns. This isn't helpful uh, if you're telling a story. There you have two Johns. John the Apostle begins his story about Jesus with the testimony about John the Baptist, who is, let me tell you, all by himself a force to be reckoned with. He would be the superstar today if you went to see, and I, Wonka, I didn't know this guy. Again, it was a trap. If you, if this, this is like the Tom Cruise or whatever there is today. You saw him and you said, here he is, right? This is a force to be reckoned with. John the Baptist. How do I adequately describe for you John the Baptist? For starters, let me just begin if you're unfamiliar with what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Jesus. The, the other gospel writers, the other three, they, they mention what Jesus said. Jesus said, truly, tr- truly I say to you, among those born of women, that's all of us, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the guy. He's the guy. If you're unfamiliar with him, he's the guy who straddles the line between the Old and the New uh, Testaments. He's got one foot in the Old, it would feel, and he's got one foot in the New. A pivotal figure, you might say, born under miraculous, miraculous circumstances himself. He lives a self-denying life in the wilderness, wearing a garment made of camel's hair and eating bugs. This is what he's known for. He's eating bugs and wild honey, known for his fire preaching and calls for repentance. That's who we're talking about here at the beginning of the story. He wasn't a reformer. Catch this, this is a nuance. He, he wasn't some kind of big reformer. He practiced no discrimination. It was equal opportunity. Full inclusion. Everyone must repent. Everyone must repent. Even the Pharisees. Even the Pharisees, the very ones who followed the law to the T. In Luke's gospel, get the, who this guy is. In Luke's gospel, it says that John the Baptist leapt inside his mother's womb when? When Mary pregnant with Jesus, came near. <laughs> preborn John the Baptist apparently recognized preborn Jesus, the Christ. That's who we're talking about here. A, a, a giant in the history of how it is that God saves the world. He was a lightning rod commanding everyone's attention. He commands everyone, the religious, the poor, the powerful. Uh, the only thing that stopped him, the only thing that stopped him, that took him off the trail, was his eventual, almost it almost felt inevitable because he wouldn't shut up, execution. He's beheaded 
for calling a Roman, a Roman leader by name out. You must repent. It, if you can start your story, if, if you were to tell a story about Jesus and you were to start it with John the Baptist, you are going to have to explain who is he? Who are you? So John writes, the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Verse 20. Look with me, verse 20. John the Baptist, he, he, he confessed, he admitted, and did not deny, he confessed, <laughs> I am not a Christ. For as, for as important as he is in the grand scheme of things, I, I am not Christ, you got to understand here, during the first century, here in this particular little region of the world among the Jews in Palestine, a nation being occupied at this time and, and oppressed by Roman forces, there's a growing anticipation, a wrestling and a rumbling and anticipation for the rise of the Christ. The rise of the Christ or the Messiah, or the anointed one, the promised one, these all titles, titles speaking of the same thing, the same promise, the same person, the same individual. The Jews are looking for him at this moment. The Jews are looking for him, so the promised one whom they expected would save them. They're looking for him because that one will save us by casting out their occupiers, the Romans thrusting them to a, onto the world stage in a position of power, restoring the kingdom. They were looking for a king who would reign in righteousness, bringing prosperity to all of God's people, the Messiah, the Christ. And so it made sense. This is why John starts here. It made sense that when they heard about John the Baptist creating quite a stir. The crowds are growing. Inquiring minds want to know. Inquiring minds want to know. John, are, are, are you the one? Are, are you the one? And to which John replies, I am not the one. And if this was 2021, you could almost feel them like scrolling <laughs> through their contact list. Okay, okay, you're not, you're not the one, they, verse 21, and they said, what, what then? Oh, are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? He said, the Baptist replied, I am not. I'm not Elijah. Again, background, helpful. Know what you're getting into here in the gospel according to John. They are confused or surprised or maybe even a bit disappointed He's not the Christ, and so they go, they dig a little deeper here. They dig a little deeper. Elijah, Elijah, the Old Testament prophet. We read, in Ma, we read in Malachi, another prophet in the Old Testament. Malachi writes of Elijah. Listen, this is what he writes, anticipating these days. He writes, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of, of the Lord comes. That's, that's what they're looking for. So they're like, are you Elijah, the one that Malachi spoke of? Malachi says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the lamb with a decree of utter destruction. Perhaps John the Baptist is Elijah. That is a great guess. And in fact, here's the crazy part. Here's the crazy part, okay? All three of the other gospels, not this one, but all three of the other gospels, 
they record that Jesus speaks of John the Baptist as fulfilling this Elijah prophecy. Listen, this is Matthew telling. I read a little bit of it. Let me read the rest of it. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Doesn't end there. He says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But here's what he says. Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. This is what Jesus says. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come. He is Elijah who has come. Who are you, John? You could say at a minimum, at at, at at the minimum, Jesus sees John the Baptist as more significant than John the Baptist sees himself. You can make a whole lesson about that. It's not what it's about. But moreover, it appears the Jews were misinterpreting Elijah's prophecy. This is anticipating a little return, literally of Elijah, but it's better to be read as one who has much in common with Elijah, similar to how the Old Testament speaks of David and the Messiah. Not David or Elijah, literally, but prefiguratively pointing shadow and echo of greater reality. John denies again, I am not Elijah. So what do they do? Now they're rolling even deeper. Are they now? They roll deeper. Are you the prophet? Once, are you the one who needs no name? A man like Moses, they anticipate, is coming to the end. No, I am not a prophet, John said. The, the, listen, the priests and Levites, we see it right there. It says that. Couldn't return without an answer. You have to understand. Listen, you have to understand. It, is not, it was not uncommon for Jewish individuals at this time to proclaim themselves the Messiah. Nothing's changed. Is there none that today or back then, there was nothing uncommon about a Jewish person proclaiming themselves to be the Messiah and to attempt to lead an uprising against the occupying Roman Empire. Let's make what, you know, right? Let's make Israel great again, whatever, right? They had to have an answer. Verse 22, so they said to him, verse 22, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And now John's going to tell. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I am the voice. I am just the voice. As has been prophesied, this, this is who John understands himself as. Listen, as uh, D.A. Carson explains, probably, probably my favorite technical commentary. If you're buying a big, thick book, I think it's like 57 bucks. You want to buy a copy of it and follow along and have your eyes go cross-eyed as you read his commentary, verse by verse. Uh, but he, he, here's what he says about this point. It's just really helpful. Listen, he says, the Baptist, I love that. the Baptist, may refuse to identify himself with any expected in time figure. But that doesn't mean he is simply another preacher. He may not be the Messiah or the prophet 
but he is the voice predicted in Isaiah. The voice of one falling in the desert makes straight the way of the Lord. He, he, he writes, in the original context, in the original context, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is calling for an improvement in the road system of the desert. <laughs> a leveling of hills and valleys and straightening of the curves, making a highway, right? Bulldozing it over to accommodate the return of God's people from exile. That's the original context of that prophecy. But even in Isaiah, this becomes something of a metaphor of the final return of the Lord. We heard this this morning as we were singing. Far greater than some geographic return of God's people to the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah continues his prophecy. As he continues, there appears a suffering servant who will lead his people home. All four of the gospel writers pick up on this. This they have in common and identify John the Baptist as this one. Isaiah was prophesying about the long-awaited, anticipated voice, the clarion, the, the first call, the first siren, announcing the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, Jesus. That's who John that's how John answers this question, who, who are you? But some question in this text. Question number two, why are you baptizing? <laughs> Seems not to be surprising to us, but, but for them. Why are you baptizing? Look with me again, verse 24 and following. Why are you baptizing? Now they had been sent to the Pharisees. That's already a surprise we'll get to later. They, they asked him, verse 25, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Baptism, listen, baptism, the rite of baptism and immersion into water wasn't unusual. It, it wasn't unusual. Don't read it this way. It wasn't innovative. Christians didn't invent the practice of baptism. It didn't start with John the Baptist. Neither did it start with Jews. It was a purification ritual practiced by many different cultures at that time. No, their question wasn't about this baptism he was doing, though it was unusual that he was the one baptizing rather than letting the people themselves baptize themselves. No, their question, their question was one of authority. Authority. John, John, if you're not Christ and you're not the Elijah and you're not the prophet, you're not the one, then who gives you the right to baptize these people? How do you justify yourself under whose name and authority are you doing these things? Verse 26, John's answer. John answered them, I baptize with water but among you stands one you do not know. Mm. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John doesn't deny he's been baptizing people. And he, and he believes he has the authority to do so. And the one he is doing it for the one he's doing for, he says, is already here. He's the voice. Don't concern yourself with me, John's saying. I'm not the one. My credentials don't compare. Don't compare with the one who is already here. 
So great is he, John sang. So great. How low can you go? Listen, lower than a, than a student, a pupil, was teacher. Lower, lower than a slave, a servant. So low that John would say, who Jesus says is the greatest. John would say, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to untie. That's how low, low, low John sees himself, that his estimation of the one, this towering figure. And just stop for a moment and think of yourself and what you're doing for the Lord. John the Baptist. I can't even do what a slave would do for his owner. I'm simply here baptizing people in order to prepare these people for someone else. Which leads me to the third question. Third question, it's implicit in the text, but John's going to answer it. <laughs> Explicitly, look, verse 29 and following. Who is it? Who, who is the one? John's going to give it to us right up front in the opening scenes. Not going to try to surprise us. This is upfront truthful advertising. Who is it? Verse 29. The next day, day number two, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him. And you just stop right there. Probably not the first time he saw him. He saw Jesus coming toward him and said publicly, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, John tries to clarify. This is he whom I said. You could just imagine the crowds down by the river. This is the one whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. He's hearkening back to the prologue. The pre-existent one. Why? Because he's before me, end of verse 30, 31. I myself did not know him. Wow. He leapt in the womb, but yet he didn't yet fully get it. I, I myself did not know him. How humble. I don't get it fully. For this person, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Who's the one? Opening scene, the story of how God saves the world. Who's the one? Jesus. Jesus is. It's unmistakable. He is. And who is he? John says, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I hope you can see, and pun intended, at this moment right here, chapter 1, verse 29, this isn't some random, crazy, you know, innovative new idea on following God and being at one with the universe, right? New way of thinking about the world and reality, having a 
a worldview. Remember from last week, answers to the biggest questions in life, right? And what, why is there something instead of nothing? And what went wrong with this something? And is there any hope? And what will happen next? Remember how John opens in his prologue? That's what preparing us for. He's preparing. He said, no. Listen, he says, the world has been waiting for this. The world has been waiting for him. This is a new idea. John the Baptist, you might say, is a voice calling out to all who would listen, like a forerunner, a precursor, a sign, a siren. He has come. He's here. You know, there's a debate. It's debatable how much John the Baptist really understood about who Jesus was at this point in the story. In fact, we know that later he's still questioning. He sends people to ask Jesus, like, are you the one? Did you read chapter one? And in the following verses, you can actually observe John's explanation for himself as we read his development. Verse 32, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. How could you not know him at that point, right? But he sent me to baptize him with water to say to him, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that. He's setting the whole book up. And I have seen him and bore witness that this is the Son. We'll never, you might say, really know when John knew the precise moment where he got it, and I'm going to argue he's still getting it. If heaven is anything, it's just a series of discoveries, epiphanies, as we plumb the depths of his glory and what he's done for us. You think you get it now? You don't. In the old famous quote, never move on from the gospel, the good news of Jesus, only to a deeper understanding of the gospel. John the Baptist is still doing that today. But the statement, the statement about Jesus that John the Apostle says, John the Baptist said at that moment, Behold, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was, listen, it was quite shocking. So familiar for us, if you know your Bibles, but, but at the time, it was just shocking. Listen, there's actually debate today, even today, as to what that meant in John's head. For you, for you see, for us, you and I, 2,000 years later, we got Bibles, we got them on our phones, we got them on our thing, we got podcasts, we got everything. Even Christians living in the second half, the later half of this first century, that when it just had happened, the identification of Jesus as the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world would be, you might say, a bit unusual of an interpretation. Possibly suspicious, unorthodox, at least how we understand that phrase in those terms today, you see. Now let me paraphrase Dr. Carson again, my favorite commentary on this book. Modern Christians, he say, are so familiar with this saying that it actually takes effort. We gotta use our imaginations we gotta, for us to recognize that before the coming and death of Jesus Christ, this Old Testament designation, this motif, this Lamb of God, it wasn't an obvious reference to the Christ. The one 
To say that the one is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world almost felt unintelligible. Messiah was thought in, of in terms of one who would come in terrible judgment and clean up the sin, even, up, even seen as political figure, a king who would usher in the golden age of the people of God and the nation of Israel. In this light, listen, thinking of it in this way, when John the Baptist meant what, what he meant, what he must have understood me at that moment, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, might have more to do with judgment and destruction than forgiveness of sins. He takes away, all right. He takes away the sin of the world. Who's the one, John? Now, last point. The questions, but all leading to this. This is where the bookends come to the foreground that I mentioned in the beginning. And we see perhaps more clearly than anyone has ever had ever seen before, according to the John the Apostle, that Jesus, Jesus was more than anyone anticipated. Breaking categories here. More than they expected. More than they were even asking for, longing for, wanting, more than they even believed. Definitely not what they were looking for. Better. Far better. It was like the movie Wonka. I'm going to say it. And I'm never going to say it again. And don't you repeat this. Stop the tape. Wonka's a really good movie. <laughs> it surprised me. I pulled up on Spotify, Willow and I, my daughter, were singing it. But never again. <laughs> Fool me once. <laughs> Behold the Lamb of God. It takes away the sin of the world. John was saying more than even we comprehend today. A provision. A lamb. Not unlike none of this is random, none of this is unexpected. All this fits together. If you think he was just this group of people who uh, came up with this crazy idea that, that, that their leader, he would roast for the grave, but they stole his body, whatever. And now, and now today, they, you know, then they all got, they all got, they all were killed, martyred, not because they wouldn't recant their testimony that he was the one. Doesn't make any sense. But and today we carry around this fable. This has been one long millennium's worth of setup. He's the lamb like the Passover lamb. At the exodus of God's people from slavery and tyranny in Egypt, God had devised a way in which he could be both just and merciful. Just and merciful at the same time. And here it was, salvation through substitution. Salvation through substitution. Take a lamb. They were instructed. The Israelites were instructed in Egypt at the end, take a, a mature male, one year old, without blemish lamb, examine it. Take time, take days to examine it. Make sure it has no flaw in it. And then on, on, on a couple weeks later, the night, the death, 
angel, this is Exodus, kills the firstborn. He's coming to kill the firstborn. Destruction, justice. Kill that lamb, God says. Apply its blood over the door posts. And when God sees the, the blood, he'll pass over you. The Passover. God spared Israel's sons back that this is what's in their head as, as John says something really crazy here. Behold the Lamb of God. They're all thinking Exodus, Passover, a lamb, blood on doorposts, the death angel passing over. Salvation through substitution. None of their sons died, not because they were better than the sons of the Egyptians. Because, but because the spotless lamb had died in their place. Salvation through substitution. And according to John in the opening scene and the closing scene, at the moment of the crucifixion, chapter 19, the similarities between the two are unmistakable. This one isn't who you thought he would be. This one's not some king to resurrect the kingdom, a revolutionary or a political leader or just a, a good teacher that's got some really good ideas that if we would just follow them in 2024 and make them our resolutions, we too would be good people. He's not, not here to change the fabric of our society and right all the wrongs one nonprofit at a time. No, the first sighting of Jesus, what do we get? A voice. Speaking to us even today, Orange. Speaking to you. Prepare the way. Prepare yourself. God has provided. Not a beast, not an animal, not no a lamb. His very son. Like you in every way, except for sin, with the promise that all those who are covered by his blood, who he stands in their place, would be saved. Oh, I I pray you would hear that voice this morning. And like John, you would see. See what John the Baptist saw. And so many of us in the room have seen by grace through faith. The eyes of our souls waiting to the long-awaited hope of a Savior who will take away my sins reconcile me reconcile me reconcile you to god your creator the one we read about in the first 18 verses i pray you join join john the baptist in his confession he is the lamb of god who takes away my sin would you pray with me heavenly father we're captivated by a first sighting of your son 
we rejoice. We rejoice that you sent him. (laughs) And we pray we would receive him. We rejoice that you have sent him. We pray he's now here, and he's here even among us now. We pray that all of us would receive him. Receive him now, first time, first act of faith, that you would breathe spiritual life into dead souls this morning in this room, that they would be saved, they would become followers of you, that you would grant eternal life and forgiveness for all their sins and for each and every one of us along this journey following you, taking up our cross, walking through this same story with him. Oh Lord, whoever holds this afternoon, tomorrow, Whatever we face as we try to fall asleep but can't shake, Lord, I pray you would once again brighten our eyes and we would see that you have provided a lamb who takes away my sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.